Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugged your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What's your social history? Sorry? What to do? Tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is I know what this one is. That, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone. A Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Conversations Against Living Miserably, a podcast where we try to find solace in a world where our brains are usually against us. My name is Aaron Gillis, and each week I'll be joined by... Me, Lauren Patterson. Each week we chat to a different guest about how they try and live their life without misery. But we try and do it with a little bit of laughter, because otherwise that sounds like a pretty gloomy idea for a podcast. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Dave, the TV channel, and Calm, the campaign against living miserably. Morning, and welcome back to a podcast that talks to funny people about misery in an attempt to let us all know that whatever shit we're going through in life, it can get better and there is help if we need it. Uh, I wanted to start this week's episode by thanking everyone that listens to this podcast. We wanted to make something stupid and silly about a very serious subject, and we're still very blown away by the love and kindness you guys write to us and kind of send us in messages and stuff. It's all uh, very overwhelming and extremely lovely, and we are very, very appreciative of everything that you, um, all the positive stuff. Anyway, the negative stuff, not so much. That, that's not as wonderful. But that's very far and few between. But as a quick favour, if you wouldn't mind uh, telling everyone you know about the podcast and recommending it to everyone you've ever met or ever meet in the future, that'd be great, because the more people that listen, the more money we raise for calm, and that's always a good thing. Anyway, to this week's episode, our guest this week is Alfie Brown. Alfie is a stand-up comedian who sold out his entire 2019 Edinburgh Festival run for his show Imagination, and is currently touring Europe with it. Uh, today, we speak to Alfie about career goals, parenthood, and social media. As always, if you could rate, review, and all that malarkey, that would be wonderful. And whilst you're doing that, here is Lauren and myself speaking to Alfie Brown.
Hello, welcome to whatever number episode this is. I don't know, because we don't record them in order. It's somewhere between 1 and 20. You can fill in the blanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> professional start. On this week's episode, we are joined by the wonderful Alfie Brown. Hello, thanks so Hello. much for having me. Thank you for coming in. We have we have one question that we kick off with everybody, and it's when was the last time you felt calm? There is uh, a moment that I've just recently been awakened to uh, that happens at about ten past nine every morning after I deliver uh, both of my kids to school. So do you ever get when you're on a treadmill and then you get off the treadmill and you feel like it's weird that the world has stopped moving? Mm-hmm. Like So when I drop my kids off at school, it almost is like I've got noise inertia. Like there's the yeah. the app. I'm looking for noise in the silence, and there is such a sense of calm. Having had children who haven't been in full time education for the last kind of coming up to five years now, to have days free, me and my girlfriend Jessie, who is their mother traditionally, you know, <laughs> uh, we went back and watched Succession. It was such a gorgeous, calm morning. I made myself a big frothy coffee. Oh, nice. Uh, and that was the last time I felt calm. That's is, a good is, one. It's about two one. hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I still feel quite calm. I'm quite a calm person. That's good. How? What are your... Are you like... Do you have certain things you do to stay calm? You're quite good at keeping yourself in line. Well, be by myself. Mm. Uh, I like to be by myself. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, you self-describe as calm, but it's quite easy to do that when you're just having a nice, evenly paced chat in a lovely sound booth (laughs) but in terms of my day-to-day life I don't think I'm a very calm parent I was talking to Jessie the other day again girlfriend and mother of children um, about like how evolutionarily kind of wired I am to constantly be on edge Mm -hmm. so she finds finds it kind of totally in her instinct to just parent as if she's like I just need them to be fed and loved Mm -hmm. and nurtured and hugged whereas I go okay I'm looking around constantly for things that could kill them yes. and and I never feel calm mm-hmm. when they're there because I feel totally anxious permanently about okay well what's the light switch situation what's the everything situation mm-hmm. what's the ooh how close are the knives are they going to feel hungry for laundry detergent like all of these sorts of concerns are just racing so yes the fact that they have newly sort of started school for the last couple of weeks has made me feel so calm mm. were those anxieties prevalent when like they first started going into school and you like didn't have that kind of knowledge of what there was around them and what was what yeah. dangers they were near or yeah 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 constantly <laughs> I've, I mean I've always felt the best time to be a parent for me was when the child is about like naught to like n- no days old to <laughs> however many when they learn to roll over then it's the end of your life <laughs> yeah. before that you can just put them anywhere and then yeah. just like become tortoise <laughs> immobile <laughs> well, yeah when they can roll over then you've suddenly got to start worrying about them f- rolling off the bed which all children do oh, at some yeah. point that responsibility for another human isn't it that's just because I remember being left to look after my niece and nephew and I can deal with one or the other together I'm like your demons like the two of them together and so I kind of dealt with my nephew because he's like at the age where I'm like watch this or how old is he eight, eight so he yeah. can like kind of entertain himself but my niece just exists to wind me up I swear <laughs> and she's got a really bad nut allergy and she was like, I'm hungry, I can have one of 
these and I checked the ingredients. I was like, you can't, it's got nuts in. She thinks she's allergic to sesame peanuts and traces. I'm like, no, traces aren't a thing. You, it, it, if it says it's got traces of nuts, you can't. And look, it says traces of nuts. And she was like, uh, but that means it's fine. It's just a little bit. I was like, no, you're still you're still allergic to it. So she's kicking off. So I gave her a sausage roll because we're northern. And I was like, That'll, that doesn't have nuts in it. And then she started to choke on it. And then my dad came in as she's choking and crying. My nephew's like suddenly gone to chaos in the three seconds that I'm distracted. And my dad was like, well, it looks like you're not ready for kids anytime soon. I was like, they were fine. They were fine until 30 seconds before you came in. And now everybody's crying and choking and there's sausage roll everywhere. <laughs> Just another day in Newcastle. <laughs> How old's the, the winder-upper of you? Five. Just turned five. Five, yeah. That's yeah. a good wind-up age. Very. Eight. You can almost have a chat with an eight-year-old. Yeah. yeah he's like a little old man. He's going to be fine. But she is just, I think because she's grown up as well, we're spending a lot of time with my mum and dad and maybe even me a little bit. She's like too sassy. Too, she's a teenager in a five-year-old's body. And sometimes I look at her and I'm like, I love you. But if you got lost, I wouldn't be sad. <laughs> <laughs> But those anxieties that you feel like around the safety of your children, is that something that you had before you had children? Is that anything that was prevalent beforehand or is that something that has just come about as a kind of protector and guardian? Well, I, I wasn't nervous about anybody else's kids getting hurt. Uh, I meant more I, of like a personal safety. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. I mean, my, personal, my personal safety is... Uh, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not worried about me. Mm. I've never been too concerned about my own health or too responsible about keeping it in check. I mean, I've got quite a good life instinct. I don't put myself in dangerous situations, but then I suppose subtly dangerous situations like driving too fast when it's heaving down with rain. Mm-hmm. I've ne- I've never really had that. I've always been anxious with other things, like when you know walking somebody's dog, being very like, "Where's the dog? Where's the dog? We can't lose the dog because otherwise I'm going to have to deal with like a really boring conversations about how things were my fault." Mm-hmm. Maybe that's I don't really care about my kids. Maybe I just care about things being blamed for things. <laughs> the fallout. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do obviously. I think it's probably both as 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 with most things in this world, the answer lies somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Before that, I think I've always been too calm. Calm to the point of, (laughs) I wish I was less calm and had more sort of constant and flashing thoughts about what needed to be done next. Mm. But I feel very much like I can just think about what I need to do after I've watched several hours of the news or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When was the first time that you became aware of mental health being a thing, be it positive or negative? Family members of mine, uh, I overheard talking about antidepressants once. I thought it was quite a severe thing because mm. you always would see it in films or TV as they're on antidepressants and that's actually quite a big deal. And now, like, and also I had a preconception about it when I was a kid that it meant that, you know, you were, you had failed in some way. So finding out about my loved one being on antidepressants is sort of a, like, I, like I'd done something wrong because I hadn't been furnishing their happiness mm. well enough. If I had been playing my part Mm -hmm. to them correctly in our kind of familial circumstance, then there would have been no need to go on antidepressants. I remember very vividly they had a a panic attack, which I thought was a heart attack. And we all kind of heard about it and saw it and then it all came out and... uh, yeah, I found that really difficult because it, I just we first of all you don't like the idea of somebody being unhappy mm. as a sort of permanent state or something that preoccupies them so much that they felt the need to go elsewhere. Or but I mean, this was like 
half my life ago. So yeah, about 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. Also, it was before mental health existed in, yeah, these, sort of, in these terms. It was before podcasts, let alone <laughs> mental health podcasts. What, what dark days. Um, PP, pre-podcast. Yes. Well, yeah, we all have to start thinking about things like that. <laughs> there was no tweeting or piling on or, or tearful Instagram video. There was just <laughs> us, families, communicating with each other or not communicating, yeah. just being secretly sad. Yeah. But also, with the benefit of hindsight now, thinking about one of the interesting things I think about depression or what it is to be depressed or when the first ever time I was aware of mental health, I spent most of my school years depressed. Mm -hmm. And it's not until you have the context of, first of all, happiness, and second of all, you know, a more a highly a more highly active conscious brain that, you know, oh, I was actually depressed then as a child because school... And that's another thing that I feel anxious about is my kids at school having to subject them to something that I hated yeah. so much. Yeah. What, a, what a horrible cruelty. But then they've already got friends, so obviously there was something wrong with me. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, I think it was... The, I mean, th those two circumstances, aware of feeling... Uh, at least unhappy at school uh, or like it was some sort of sentence or that li life was to be suffered mm. and then a more awake and direct interaction with it uh, when that happened and I was aware of Prozac for the first time which dates it because nobody's mm. on Prozac anymore mm. they're all on <laughs> fluoxetine <laughs> It's interesting though isn't it that, um, that kind of guilt of wanting to help someone that's going through something like this and not knowing what yeah. to do especially like at a young age when it hadn't even been discussed or anything yet you must have just felt so lost but even nowadays when I've got friends that like first get diagnosed with depression or anxiety and you do go oh, it's a normal instinct isn't it to go is there anything I could have done is there something I should have been doing when actually that just doesn't exist it's, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain it was about to ha it was going to happen at some point it's the fact that they've been yeah. diagnosed because we love people, we want them to be okay, and then we blame ourselves as well. Kind, yeah. I mean, I there's a there's a language around mental health, which because everything was so closed off before, mm -hmm. means it's opened up in such a way. And because I think words like diagnosis and chemical imbalance and mental health itself, mental illness itself, are born out of a fear of talking about it. Yeah. Nobody wants to be able. Nobody wants to say I'm sad because that sounds pathetic to us. Mm -hmm. We have to say I feel actually mentally ill, and there's a chemical imbalance. And whereas most or a lot of people who are suffer with depression, a lot of people who suffer with depression, not all. And I should make explicit when I talk about these things that it is um, some, but not all. Otherwise, you will get lots of complaints. <laughs> um, but the the language around mental health and it existing as terms of diagnosis, whereas like it's d depression as an idea as a chronic illness creates a stigma against sadness. Like, well, I'm depressed. True, yeah. Well, I've well, I'm sad. Well, you're only sad. That'll go away. Mm -hmm. I'm depressed. And a lot of the times that depression is diagnosed, it's something impermanent. Mm -hmm. And if you are grieving or something like that or feeling very depressed because of a bad relationship or bad work, the diagnosis of depression won't help really other than compound what you're going through because you feel like there's something systemically wrong with you mm -hmm. rather than just this situational thing. I would be in my whole campaign for mental health, which is why things like this is so good I think because it's all about talking rather than diagnosing or prescribing like Indeed. most of my friends who went to the doctor got prescribed pills well before they got prescribed conversation yep and that's not good. Yeah. I think mental health should be corrected and addressed in the same way. And also like uh, alcoholism or gambling addiction. All forms of addiction are a mental health problem in mm -hmm. themselves. Like people aren't really happy and addicted to alcohol. Mm -hmm. uh, I would feel quite confident in saying. So why not have like a depressed people anonymous? Yeah. Uh, That'd be amazing. And uh, have something like that. There's a really great... Um, 
Jeff Tweedy lyric from his song Bombs Above, where he says, um, A man one night told me once, holding my hand, so drunk he could hardly stand. Suffering's the same for everyone. He was right, but I was wrong to agree. Which is such a huge yeah, idea, yeah. isn't it? Because cause suffering is... Nobody knows what it's like to be anybody else. Mm-hmm. But at the same time... So suffering is contextual in terms of your own existence. So if you had one of these nights, you'd be like, somebody might have a huge problem where they've had experienced some sort of awful grief or something like that. But then somebody who's just sad about, you know their bad knees or or just a bit of a boring job or something mm. would have to be listened to because suffering's the same for everyone mm. uh, not that uh, misfortune is the same for everyone and not to be confused with that uh, so yeah I, I as somebody who's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder I sort of refute it because mm-hmm. I think it was that means I'm always bipolar yeah. and that affects uh, jobs I can get it literally has mm-hmm. could be affected if uh, Jesse and I broke up and we were looking for custody of the kids mm-hmm. it's a, something that can be used against me I'm not on any medication and I still have a 5 or 6 out of 10 drinking problem but it's not like the worst drinking problem <laughs> in the world yeah. it's yeah. like it's quite a, you know, it's probably thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people in this country have it. But I think much more of the conversation should just be about sadness and we should be a lot more forgiving of things like sadness. And also I think that will help people to be more open about the idea that sadness isn't something to be ashamed of, but also it's not permanent. Yep. Yeah. And it offers a lot more hope. And if you want to go on antidepressants for a bit, that's great. Mm-hmm. Go for it. But don't think you're going to be on them yeah. forever because the circumstances change and times can change and your, your, your sadness is not a permanent fix. And for some people, they will be naturally more predisposed. Everything's a chemical balance of some yeah. sort, love and hope and whatever. Um, but so I, And I like the idea that we have souls and that we're humans. So talking in those terms is more comforting, I think, than the kind of quite directly and unemotional kind of synaptic way that yeah. mental health is often spoken about. I sometimes wish they'd flip it. Say, like, if you go to a doctor, they'll probably prescribe you pills pretty quickly. You can walk away with a prescription, but you'll be on a six-month waiting list. I kind of think it should be the other way around. You should be straight away giving somebody to talk to and have to wait for the obviously again not everybody there's some people who probably do really need them but I wonder how many people if they got the talking first would then feel the need to be on the medication yeah. should be the other way around mm. said it before it needs to be like Lush you know when you walk into Lush and someone's straight on you like can I help you that's what it needs to be we need to retrain Lush employees to work in the mental health sector <laughs> and then nobody would be waiting we'd all be have therapy in a bath bomb in five minutes there you go that's yeah, what we need maybe, some, maybe the, the Lush people there should be a little kind of uh, a surcharge that you can pay so that they come and have the bath with you <laughs> and, t- and talk through your problems with yeah. you. <laughs> Should be like a code word when they're like, is there anything I can help you with? Be like, everything. <laughs> <laughs> get taken into a side room, into a jacuzzi. Oh, this is probably why I didn't get a job at Lush when I applied. <laughs> like, God, she's got so many problems. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about how it's affected you getting jobs? Uh, no, not at all. I was, a few years ago, um, around the birth of my child, I wanted to contribute more to the upbringing of the child mm -hmm. and also was only really earning enough from comedy to uh, help myself survive, let alone a tiny little gannet. So I applied for jobs. I was an Uber driver, but my the Uber process, you need to get your TFL license. You need a, a clean bill of health from, you need CBD. I'm not an evil person to children check, whatever mm -hmm. that's called. Yeah. called? <laughs> CBD check. CBD check, yeah. yes. CRB, isn't it? C C O B. CBD C is CBD cannabis, cannabis. Oil. No, is <laughs> which can also help with mental health. Um, CRB or DRB? CRB. DBS? CRB. CRB. DBS is the department of DFS. DFS, that's right. Yeah. Um, oh God, I feel acronym sick. <laughs> yes. So I got the I'm not a bad guy to kids or anybody else. Check. I'm not a sexual pervert. Check. Um, you know, you send off your little thing and everybody goes, yeah, good for you. I'm a I'm a teacher and he's all right. That's basically how you check that. Mm doesn't seem the most foolproof thing in the world, but fine. <laughs> um, and then you have to get a note from your doctor. And on my medical record is prescriptions for all sorts. Attention deficit disorder, which is, you know, many of the same symptoms as bipolar, yeah. just in children. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and a bipolar disorder diagnosis and lots of different mood stabilizers, which are the most horrible thing. Mm -hmm. I mean... Especially if you're on uh, too high a dose, it's just a, a tranquilizer, and I had to leave them because I watched uh, "I've Loved You for So Long," the film with Christian Scott Thomas, yeah. and I didn't cry. And I went, "I know, I know me," mm -hmm. and I cry at this film yeah. a lot. <laughs> and the fact that I'm not crying means that I am not myself. Yeah. I am, I'm leaving this pill. I'm mm -hmm. a robot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, though, and I can't, we can't recommend you for a TFL license because you have a history of mental health problems. And I went, okay, but can you please, can you just, I went back to my doctor, can you please just tell him I'm fine? And it was mm. just, uh, mm -hmm. this is mad, if you'll excuse the use of that word. I'm mm -hmm. fine now. But of course, they don't want Uber drivers being depressed because of, they don't want you being a sad Eurowings pilot and <laughs> doing all that sort yeah. of business. Need them five stars. Mm. Yes. But then, this is a bit in my 2018 show, Lunatic, a sort of to some degree about this. I was speaking to a guy called Naseeb in his cab and I said, hey man, where are you from? And he went, I'm from Guildford. And I went, oh right, did you grow up somewhere else? And he went, yes, uh, originally I'm from Afghanistan, but uh, we have to leave 
because the Russians drop a bomb and it kills my sister. Then uh, we move to Pakistan. We live underground. We have market stall in Dubai. Uh, the government takes it away from us because of incorrect documentation. And then um, we, I, I, my family give me money. I open pizza restaurant in Guildford, Nasib's Pizza, the best pizza in Guildford. And then a Domino's Pizza opens up across the road. I go bankrupt and I now drive an Uber uh, 50 hours a week to pay for my three children. Yeah. And I said, are you telling me he's never suffered with mental health problems? Yeah. yeah. Of course he has. Mm -hmm. He just wasn't white enough to get diagnosed, <laughs> yeah. is the uh, line in my show. Yeah. Uh, and that's true. We, it's just we, we, we have a, a, a Western idea of what it is to suffer or the fact that somebody who's unhappy with life might be, what are you kidding? What are you talking about? You're unhappy. This is the West. Mm -hmm. Have Fernando's and, you know, uh, get drunk. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Whereas for him, suffering was a very much inbuilt into survival. Yeah, indeed. So, yes, that's the way in which that's affected. But a lot of these Uber drivers, a lot of them were born in other countries mm -hmm. and have come here for work because there's the most patriotic guy I ever met was a guy from Somalia, I think, uh, who was an Uber driver. And he would not have me talk down the country at all. I love the Queen. This is uh, this is like, my this country is my mother. Mm -hmm. This country has given me life. And I thought, well, yeah, I don't care about this country because it's never really saved me from anything. Yeah. Or if it has, I took it for granted. Yeah. So you, but you love a country because it's not somewhere where somebody is trying to kill your family and not paying you any money. Mm. I thought that was a really interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. Really lovely. Uh, how long have you been speaking openly about mental health in kind of your comedy and uh, in your work? Because you speak about it obviously very eloquently. Um, has it been something over recent years that you've been able to speak about or is it just something that, because it's, you've just been always quite open? Uh, yeah. I've, I, yeah, I've always been open about anything. I mean, when you say openly, do you mean openly to friends or openly in terms of, uh, in a public forum? Um, let's start with friends. I mean, I've always been quite good or I've always had friends who have been, there's very, been very little kind of shamed or with regards to problems. Mm -hmm. Like We've always just had different problems in our lives and s spoken openly about them in a kind of quite a good, open and sensitive friendship dynamic. Uh, in a public forum, it, only when it became, I sort of spoke about it quite soon after I was then was diagnosed with bipolar, then went on my medication and then came off it. And then in 2014, I had a show called Divorced from Reality, brackets, and my wife. And uh, I spoke about it then. And my opinion's always been the same. And I've given uh, talks about my quite direct and specific uh, thoughts about mental health, mm. as, as I've sort of described to you, in that I'm, I'm quite anti the diagnostic language. Yeah. And I went to Keele University to talk about that. And there's a whole kind of movement, which a lot of which I, I don't agree with. But there's, it's spoken about quite scientifically, but I don't really think it is a science. It's, uh, it, it needs more sensitivity than perhaps that can offer. And also, I'm very willing to be wrong. <laughs> but it's just a, it's a very individualistic journey. And um, it's no one path of recovery is ever going to be the same for anyone else. And we all mm -hmm. discover our best way of doing it. And it feels like quite a few people go, you need to do meds, then you need to go to this, then you need yeah. to do that, the X, Y, Z, and then six years later, we can reevaluate it. Yeah. But you know your body, like you were saying when you were watching the film and you just felt numb, you know how your body's reacting to something. Mm. And like I started a course of medication, I can't remember what it was, but I was just ill for about a month and a half. Mm -hmm. and I was just like, this isn't making me better. This isn't helping me at all. So you do, there is, has to be that little bit of self-trust there. Yeah, like when people told me to go outside and I was like, I'm depressed, I don't want to go outside. <laughs> That's literally what is wrong with me. No, just sit with the curtain shut, thank you. Yep. But then again, people told us to run and I was uh, like, what? No. Yep. But um, I've accidentally signed up for a half marathon, so now I've got to run and discovered 
is actually quite common. <laughs> yeah, but you love exercise. I that's do like love your exercise. whole that's your whole thing, isn't yeah. it? That you're... I hadn't realised that running was basically just another form of exercise. Like, <laughs> ah. Exercise, I always make it fun, whereas running seemed like a chore. But I'm like, oh, if I put a podcast on, it's actually quite fun. Mm. But don't you think that exercise is one of the things that, I mean, it's because so you've heard two things and they're quite frequent. Like, you should go outside and, and you should exercise mm-hmm. and eat well. And mm-hmm. everybody goes, oh my God, I'm depressed. I don't want to hear that. And then you do it and you go, oh, Oh, okay, yeah. no, good. Yeah. Good, you were yeah. right. We and need I... to sleep more and it's like, oh, what do you think I am, a child? And then you get a good night's sleep and you're like, oh, yeah. oh I do feel. <laughs> uh, and that's sort of what I am necessarily kind of sceptical about this, but there's such a uh, pressure on everybody to talk about things the right way, to not have any sceptical thoughts, to be open to everyone and everyone who says there's something wrong with me, well, yes, we believe it. Mm-hmm. Like, from me as a 14-year-old who didn't know what like it was to be sad or that being sad was a failure and that we should keep things hidden mm-hmm. to me as a, as a diagnosed adult where mental illness and now people call it mental health you know f- five years hence and then the next step is to surely be a bit more discerning about the nature of what it is because mm-hmm. there are people who have real like mental health problems like schizophrenia and mm-hmm. uh, and, and and you know a bipolar that is I mean I, my diagnosis of bipolar I, you know I'm obviously next week I'm probably going to buy an ice sculpture now in 17 <laughs> prostitutes but um, but it just isn't the same as the other people that I know with uh, with bipolar who have mm-hmm. been on lithium for 20 years and have had like have lost control of themselves and obviously I've had mad nights where I've you know crashed the soap awards and then got in a fight with a sissy boy who hasn't but um, <laughs> but I feel like the way that we are on Twitter and and Instagram about mental health is actually going to be retrogressive in the long run if I say I'm sad on Twitter then I will get a, a litany of responses fawning over my yes. sadness and I think that then you get a little kind of buzz off of that a little endorphin rush and go yes it's good to be sad it's good to be sad mm-hmm. so you start trying to perform your sadness in and then like take a picture of yourself crying on Instagram and go look how real I am and everybody goes oh my mm-hmm. god you're so real mm-hmm. and then you get like another endorphin rush so you're you're made to fetishize your own sadness in a sense because it's making you happy yeah. and that isn't a good way to be it makes you weaker i don't like or endorse anybody who is uh, disrespectful of anybody who's going through any sort of sadness or anything like that but there is the, you, you exercise and it makes you stronger this is a process of trying to figure yourself out mm-hmm. it's not a chemical imbalance but also a, a lifestyle imbalance and an emotional mm-hmm. imbalance that you're going through and this won't be solved by the transient and rather empty experience of what social media is it has to be dealt with more humanly than that can provide in the same way that I think that talking to people in a non performative sense mm-hmm. and how like virtuous everybody has to be about every conversation they have is appalling because you're just isolating people from themselves when people go I think it's really great that everybody's really great all the time and we all need to be really great and performatively virtuous and then actually we all have when we're by ourselves horrible thoughts mm-hmm. horrible thoughts about other people cynical mm-hmm. w- what we really think about things is not when you kind of tweet something or the, the, the way in which 
morality exists on Twitter is not the way that we all privately accept to no. each other when we're not being recorded on a podcast that it actually exists. That's what your Twitter drafts folder is for. Yeah, yeah That's exactly. when you see a real person. <laughs> Bet you if I went in either in any of our draft folders right now, we'd be like, God, we're Oh, God, if I read out your WhatsApp people. now, yeah. you, your career would be over. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all just acknowledge that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's what WhatsApp's for. Is like, oh, thank God, people do feel like me, <laughs> away from the performance of having to be like this. And the performance of having to be like this is going to cause a mental health problem. You have the pleasure of getting the endorphin rush of the having the good opinion and the right opinion. And then you're by yourself again and go, oh, I'm not really that person. Yeah. I'm bad. Mm-hmm. And that's going to ruin your life. So I think there should be national WhatsApp visibility day, <laughs> where we all just oh, get to read each other's WhatsApps yeah. and go, oh, we're all We're all terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when I worked in the sh- like retail and restaurants, I was like, I wish there was one day a year where I could talk to people how you actually make me feel mm. like, oh, fuck the customer service and the, the customer's always right. No, the customer is sometimes a bellend and mm. <laughs> why should I have to stand and smile and be like, yeah, you're right, you did eat your whole burger and I did ask if it was okay and you did say yes, but now there's a problem and of course I'll give you it for free. Oh, yeah. yeah, like, no, you wanted a burger for free, Derek. I'm not an idiot. That's what you wanted. <laughs> do you want to jump in my, my anxious game? So, if you pick a number between 1 and 16 mm. and then I've made anxious scenarios that are like two sides of the same coin. Okay. What do I have to do with that? It's like a would you rather type Oh, would thing. I rather? Yes. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Number between one and sixteen. I'd like to go with nine. Nine. Oh, so when you're travelling, would you rather sit in a window or an aisle? Well, train, mm-hmm. window, and plane, long haul, window, mm-hmm. short haul, aisle. Really? I'm window always. I'd rather hold in a wee or a poo or whatever it is and never leave than have to like either disrupt somebody or to get up. So, you know, if you're sitting on the aisle, I'm always conscious like, oh, the people either in the middle or on the window, I'm going to have to keep getting up for them. And oh my God, I'm in their way. And oh my God, I'm spoiling their journey. So I like to sit by the window and pretend I don't exist. That is my travel preference. Especially on planes, because if the person's going past with the booze cart, I need to be Ah. there every single time because they might miss me. I feel like I'm at the window, I'm just out the way. Deep look into how my brain works Uh, that's very good actually when I flew to America recently I had the best seats in the so it was a separation between like uh, business or like pig class premiere and me in pig yeah. class and uh, it was the yeah the thing that separates it so I didn't have anybody in front of me I just had that lovely wall of leg space <laughs> and I had an aisle and the drink cart kept on coming past yeah that was pretty great thing Right, we've got about five minutes left, so do you want to do our last question? Yes, if you could go back to your younger self and give yourself some advice on mental health and living without misery, what would you tell yourself? If I could have given myself any advice about how not to be in misery as an older person. Um, God, that's, I mean, that is actually the advice that I would want to give, but I've really just realised what it is in my head and it's such a a hackneyed and overused phrase. Go for it. um, I'll I'll flesh out around it so it doesn't seem quite so (laughs) kind of uh, horrible. When I was younger, I always found dressing and talking and my identity and my background, also all all, all sorts of things, happenstance and circumstance, just uh, uh, sources of shame. Uh, I I didn't like the fact that I have uh, what I realise now is such a gorgeous speaking voice. Um, (laughs) I wanted a regional accent. I I didn't like the way I was or the way I dressed. I would try and cover it up by 
leaning into whatever sort of crowd I could get on board with and now leaning into the idea of me and what I am or looking for people for the way that they are and trying to be so the, ultimately the advice is I'm, I'm being myself more which is it's such an overused phrase it's almost become meaningless but I do mean it so there <laughs> uh, I, I wish there was some sort of more eloquent or philosophically dynamic way that I could uh, put the importance of uh, recognising or getting to grips with your own identity and trying to embody in the truest sense what you are. Because really, people don't really mind where you are or who you are or where you're from. They just don't like you being inauthentic. And authenticity, I, th- I think that's the whole my whole problem with the social media as well as it's such a sort of spurious mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, unreal idea of who these people are mm-hmm. which is become which is why I find it kind of quite annoying as well to have to do it like I haven't learned to be myself on these things yet mm-hmm. uh, how am I going to communicate the most honest version of myself that that, that is appropriate for people's consumption uh, so it, it's helped me on stage be a better comedian recognizing an idea of myself and actually that came from just doing gigs without any material really uh, because if you if you don't have any material you're not writing in somebody's voice yeah. so you just have to talk in your own one because you don't really have time to perform being somebody else because you're too busy trying to survive and be mm-hmm. funny so it was it was it was that little time period of uh, comedy in my life that taught me how to access how I really speak and am and I feel so much happier being this because I think I'm quite like it quite like quite like it that's amazing. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Very amazing. Much. Thank, you. Thank you. We hope you can take something from this podcast away with you in your day-to-day life. Whatever situation you're in, you're not by yourself. We can share our stories, share our experiences. We can help each other know that things do get better. And thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, hope at least some of what we discussed here today either made you laugh or made you think or made you want to talk to someone or anything really uh, thanks to Alfie for letting us chat at him uh, thank you to Lauren Calm, and Dave and you this is the usual please rate review subscribe bit but let's skip that this week and go live our lives just get on with stuff let's just go get on with shit is what I was going to say there not stuff uh, let's go get on with shit see you next week bye blah, 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 blah. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 
Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugged your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. Where's your social history? Sorry? What to do? Tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is I know what this one is. That, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone, a Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel.